Shalom and welcome everyone to the ICEJ webinar series. I'm David Parsons, one of the vice presidents here at the International Christian Embassy Jerusalem and our senior spokesman and just want to welcome you to this program. We're uh, around four months now into Israel's war with Hamas terrorists in Gaza, also on other fronts in the north, in uh, Judea, Samaria, the West Bank. And today we're going to deal with uh, probably the most emotional and difficult uh, of our, all the aspects of this war. We're going to talk about setting the hostages free and the whole effort to uh, gain freedom uh, for the, uh, hostage, the Israelis, uh, many dual citizens of other countries that were taken hostage into Gaza, and there's still around 136 left. There a recent uh, report in the New York Times that uh, um, as, as, uh, maybe about a quarter of them are presumed uh, dead. Uh, the figures of late, the official figures from the IDF, that of the 136 that are still believed held in Gaza, there were 29 um, that are, uh, there's evidence that they uh, have already uh, uh, died, and they're adding two um, IDF soldiers who were killed and their bodies taken back to Gaza in one of the rocket wars back in 2014. Uh, so it's actually 31, and there may be as many as 20 or more others that uh, are presumed dead. We just don't, you know, know for sure, but that still leaves, um, you know, uh, around 100 hostages alive. Hopefully they're alive. There's been very little word uh, on uh, their condition since the last uh, hostage release deal where some of the 105 hostages who came out back in uh, around December, uh, they said, look, we were being held with this person or that person. And so there was some proof of life through the hostages that, that were released, but these others are still being held and the talks to try and free them are very difficult. And what we're going to do today is bring you uh, the stories of two of the hostages, two young men who were both captured at the Nova Music Festival uh, near the Gaza border on October 7th, as told by their mothers. And we had a, a solidarity mission last week here in uh, Israel, visiting the Gaza border, visiting the northern border, getting security briefings, Bible teachings. We also visited the Knesset, and uh, our friends at the Knesset Christian Allies Caucus, part of the program that they put on for us with uh, the Minister of Intelligence, Gila Gamlile, another um, Knesset member. But we also heard from Rachel Goldberg. Now, she is the mother of uh, um, Hirsch Goldberg Poland. And if we can show uh, his photo, he uh, there's actually footage of him. He was one of three Israeli men who were pulled out of a, a bomb shelter along the highway that uh, th uh, they had been hiding there. There were uh, several dozen people hiding in it, and they're through the Hamas terrorists threw grenades in there, they started shooting in there, and they took three Israeli young men 
who were still alive and took them into Gaza. And this is one of them, Hirsch Goldberg, Poland, 23 years old. He's a dual Israeli-American citizen. His mother, Rachel, has been one of the very powerful uh, voices. Uh, it really um, you know, touches your, your heart spring, strings, and you see it on her face when you hear her talk about what her family is going through and how much they love and, and miss Hirsch. And so we'll bring you uh, her testimony that was given to us up in the Knesset last week, please. So first, thank you so much. I feel honored and privileged and grateful to stand in front of this room of incredible, faithful people, God-fearing people, supportive people. You have no idea how much it means to us as a country and how much it means to me as the mother of Hirsch Goldberg Poland. Hirsch is my eldest child and he is my only son. He just turned 23, two days before he went to the Nova Festival with one of his best friends from childhood. On Saturday morning, October 7th, I woke up and was having tea in my kitchen. Uh, my husband had left for synagogue at 7.30 in the morning. Um, I'll back up just one second to say that we had had Shabbat dinner, Sabbath dinner the night before, um, and Hirsch had said that he was going to be going camping with one of his best friends after dinner. Uh, the last thing I did for Hirsch Friday night before he left, my husband and I each blessed him with the priestly blessing that you all know. Uh, we do that every Friday night to our children I put my hands on his head and I blessed him to be like Ephraim and Manasseh, the two sons of Joseph, who were the first sons, the first siblings in the Bible who didn't have hatred and rivalry for each other, like Cain and Abel had, or Ishmael had, or uh, Jacob and Esau had, uh, Ishmael and Isaac, Jacob and Esau, Joseph and his brothers, of course. And then you had Ephraim and Manasseh, who were finally loving each other, and they broke the paradigm of hatred. Um, and that's why we bless our, our boys to be like them. And then I went on with, may God bless you and keep you. May God shine his face upon you and be gracious unto you. May God lift up his countenance toward you and give you peace. And then when Hirsch left that night, he kissed me. He kissed my husband, John, and he turned and he said, I love you. I'll see you tomorrow. And that was 117 days ago. Saturday morning after my husband left for synagogue, around eight o'clock, I heard the bomb sirens going off in Jerusalem. So I quickly woke up my two daughters. I have a daughter who's 20 and a daughter who's 18. And we rushed into our bomb shelter that's in our home. And we waited the protocol of 10 minutes. And if you don't hear an explosion after 10 minutes, you can come out. We came out. Now, normally I observe the Shabbat very traditionally, and I don't use any electronics. I don't use my phone, no TV, radio. But I knew that this was a question of life or death. I knew that Hirsch and his best friend were sleeping outside and that there were rockets falling. So I said to my girls, I'm turning on my phone for the first time on Shabbat because I want to make sure that the boys are okay. I turned on my phone. It was 8.23. Two WhatsApps had popped in to my phone that popped up at 8.11, so 12 minutes before I turned on my phone. It was to John, my husband, and me 
from Hirsch. The first message said, I love you. And the second message said, I'm sorry. And I knew immediately that something horrible was unfolding and that he thought that we were going to be in a lot of pain and he was asking forgiveness. And what we came to find out is that when Hamas descended upon the Nova Music Festival, Hirsch and his best friend, Anir, managed to escape to a roadside bomb shelter, which then came under attack by Hamas. They were smashed into a small five-foot by eight-foot bomb shelter with 29 young people. Hamas came to the doorway and was throwing in hand grenades, which Honor Shapira, his best friend, Hirsch's best friend, managed to keep throwing them out one after the other after the other, and you only have 4.5 seconds from when a pin is unpinned from a hand grenade until it detonates. He managed to throw out seven, and as some of you know the story, on the eighth it exploded in his hand, killing him. And when his body was returned to his parents, the remnants of the hand grenade were, were in his hand. Most of those kids were dead. Hamas came to the door and sprayed machine gun fire. What we heard from the four lucky eyewitnesses who were trapped under the dead bodies, and therefore they were lucky because they were able to pretend to be dead. Three boys were wounded, but clearly alive and slumped against the opposite wall. One of them was Hirsch. When Hamas came in, they ordered the three boys to stand up. When they stood up, the four witnesses told us that Hirsch's left arm from the elbow down had been blown off. He, like me, is a left-handed young man. Um, so they were marched out, put on the back of a Hamas pickup truck that took off in the direction of Gaza. His last known phone cell signal was at 10.25 in the morning, Saturday morning, October 7th. A week later, Anderson Cooper from CNN was interviewing me. We had gone um, on all, all different sorts of uh, media and press to raise the awareness that Hirsch was in dire medical need. That was why we had started to talk to the press as soon as we heard from those young people that he could possibly be bleeding to death. Anderson Cooper at the end of the interview said, you guys, I'm calling you now, which I thought was very suspicious because no one else had ever said, I'm gonna call you once the interview is over. He called us and he said, I have actual footage of the abduction of your son. I was doing a documentary on the Nova Film Festival. I went down to see the bomb shelter. I met with soldiers there. They found a GoPro camera that fell off of the helmets of one of the Hamas people who took your son. And then we watched the point onto a Hamas pickup truck. And when he turns to sit down, you see the stump of where his left arm used to be. And you see that there is some sort of bandage or tourniquet that he has fashioned for himself. And that's the last thing that we know. We have a moment now. We are at a crossroads as a country, as God-fearing Judeo-Christian people in the world to make this right. It was a horrible thing that happened. It was an atrocity that happened. And now our government has the chance and we are very hopeful that they're going to lean in and do the correct thing morally, ethically, religiously, as Judeo-Christians do. We value life. And you know what that means? It's expensive. And you know what that means? We should be proud 
that we should embrace, that we pay a high price sometimes because we value life and we value the present. And I don't think there'd be anything more heroic than doing repentance and atonement for failing some of the those citizens and civilians. Hirsch is a U.S. civilian and citizen. And we have the chance now to make right what went wrong for those 136 people. The oldest person there is an 85-year-old grandfather who was dragged from his bed in his underwear. And the youngest person there, as you know, is Kfar Bibas, who just turned one year old two weeks ago in captivity. We will be heroes and a light unto the nation when we have those captives, as you know from Psalm 135, walk back to Zion and we will pour out laughter from our mouths. And I will tell you that my favorite groups to talk to are my Christian friends and neighbors who have come here. You have shown up. You don't just talk the talk. You walk the walk. You get on the plane and you come here and we appreciate you. And we are so proud to stand by your side and have you stand by our side. And I pray and I hope all of you pray that you will get the next time you see me to meet my son, Hirsch, who will be standing next to me. I spoke to a Christian group two weeks ago, and I'm going to read you something that one of the women randomly sent me this morning, and then I realized it's not random. It's because she knew I'd be here with you. She just sent me one verse, and she hasn't been in touch with me for two weeks since she meet, met me. She said, this is Psalm 34:18. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and he will save those crushed in spirit. I am thinking of him and his saving grace for your beautiful son today. So thank you all for coming here, and I will say what you can do. First of all, you can keep talking about these hostages. These people are from five different religions. There are Christians being held there, Jews, Muslims, Hindus, Buddhists. As I mentioned, the age range is an 85-year age range and that the people come from almost 20 different nations. So this is not a homogenous group of people. This is a mini global humanitarian crisis of 136 people. You can spread the word, and, and especially in an interfaith way, I think it, it resonates very strongly when you are our advocates. And I think you can also encourage any Israeli leaders that you speak to, like this wonderful hero that we have here today, to encourage them because it is going to be hard, and it's absolutely the right ethical, moral choice. We don't really have a choice. Sometimes when you're God-fearing, you do things that are really hard and feel like they don't make sense, because that's what being a God-fearing person is. You do the right thing, even when it's hard, and even when it's expensive. And I salute every single one of you. Thank you. Yes, that was uh, Rachel Goldberg, the mother of Hirsch Goldberg, Poland, speaking to uh, the Christian Embassy's Solidarity Mission uh, last week in, um, in the Knesset. Uh, we had um, uh, around 70 pastors and ministry leaders who came up to uh, Jerusalem 
uh, up to Israel to be part of this. And uh, it was, uh, our, uh, you know, we did a lot of things, but probably the highlight for most of the people was hearing from the these mothers of uh, two of the hostages in Gaza. And this Rachel Goldberg, uh, I tell you, somehow she uh, summons up the courage and the strength to go out every day. She's one of the most active relatives, family members of the hostages, and she's been all over the the world, and uh, but uh, uh, has developed a special rapport with uh, Christians who are standing with Israel and uh, working to free the hostages. And we just pray for his, uh, her son Hirsch, who, uh, as she said, there's there's footage that's out there in the public space of the three uh, young Israeli men being loaded into the back of a truck, and one of them's missing the the lower half of their arm. And that's her son, Hirsch. And we just ask that you pray for him, speak up for him, do what you can to help uh, bring him home. And uh, we also heard that evening back uh, at our hotel where we, uh, our conference was centered, uh, we heard from Shelly Shemtov. She is the mother of Omer Shemtov, another young Israeli man who was abducted from the um, um, the Nova Music Festival, you can see his poster there. Uh, it is very prominent in all the protests uh, uh, here in Israel, all the rallies to free the hostages here in Israel, around the world. Another uh, handsome young Israeli man that uh, we're trying to get free from Hamas in Gaza, and uh, his mother Shelley spoke to us. Uh, last week during our Envision Solidarity Tour. Thank you for coming here uh, to hear my story, our story, and to spread all over the world. So I am Shelly. I'm the mother of Omer, Omer Shemtov. Omer was at October 31, 21 years old. At uh, October 7, we walk up to rockets and uh, as uh, it's a, we are a crazy country, rockets, it's normal. And uh, we thought it's a normal day with rockets but as the time passed we understand that it's not the normal situation we talked with Omer a few times he was at the Nova festival and uh, we talked with him at 6 30 when everything happens and he said that he's okay he will come back home later and last time we talked with him was at quarter to nine. Uh, he was panicked. I called him. He was panicked. He said, we got to the car. We are trying to escape. There are shootings here. I will call you back. My daughter told him, send us live location. He sent the live location and the, then the phone stopped. 
And then we saw in the live location that the point is moving not to the right place. My daughter started to cry. She said, it's, he's on the wrong way. I tried to, to call him. The phone was ringing, but Omer didn't answer. And on live, we saw the point is getting into Gaza. We didn't want to believe this is the situation. We thought somebody stole his phone. My husband went to the hospital to try to find him. I was calling everybody, try to find any clue uh, about Omer, but uh, I didn't get any answer about it. And then at 8 p.m., one of his, fr his friends called me and told me, Shelly, I'm sorry, I need to send you a video. And in the video that Hamas took out, we saw Omer in the floor of a pickup truck with handcuffed in his hands. And uh, one of his friends was with him also. And it was like, like black that I couldn't see anything. I, I was shouting to, to God, oh my God, my son is in the hands of terrorists. And what, what I will do now? And we called one of his, one of our family members that uh, we knew that he knows a lot of people. And he told me, I will try to arrange a meeting that we'll see what, what we will do. And from that point, uh, we start to get also hundreds of phone calls from families like in our situation that doesn't know where is their lovers. And together we got be together and, and do the headquarters that we have now. That as Doron said, we are a big family in the same crazy situation. And our life stopped at October 7. And it's a long, long, long nightmare. 118 days of nightmare that I, you must understand uh, if you want to, you know where your son or daughter slept tonight. If you are worried, you can call him and ask if he's okay. So, I know where is my son is, and he's in the hand of terrorists. And I don't know what is his condition. And I think nobody in all over the world 
needs to feel like we feel. My son Omer is, the, is our youngest son. We call him our sunshine because as a sunshine, everybody wants to be near him. He's a, so, he's a good boy. He has a lot of friends. He loves to love. He, have, uh, he loves music. He went to a festival to, to dance. And uh, we miss him very much. We are very, very wor worried about his condition because Omer has asthma and celiac. And I don't know if you know how it to feel that you cannot breathe and you don't, you don't have your inhaler. And he doesn't have his inhaler because nobody, not the Red Cross, nobody went to see what is their condition. And he has celiac and he's eating bread and he has stomach pains. And after 52 days, the friend who was kidnapped with him came back because he is young. He's 18 years old. And we, he told us what is Omer's condition and it's not, he's not good because he don't have his medicine. And he told us about what they did. So the first they took them, they, they kidnapped them, they took them to the tunnels, they beat them to 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 ask them if they are just soldiers and then they took them to another place there there were two with Omer sister and brother they there were two shot with uh, from the Hamas attack and Omer was uh, taking care of them there and uh, one thing that uh, that he told us that I know that Omer has faith with God and he is strong is that every Friday from where he was little, he likes to do the Kiddush on Friday. And one day they got uh, their uh, grape juice and they, he put it on the side. And then they got bagel with salt. So he took the salt from the bagel. And every Friday he put tissue in his head, like kippah, and he did kiddush. And uh, Amotzi also in the place the dark place that he is there. And uh, I know Omer have uh, faith. And I, from the day that October 7, I went to his room. The room was messy 
because he left his room uh, with floor, uh, clothes on the floor. And I said to myself, I will not arrange his room. He will come back and he arranged by himself. The light is on. Every day I'm in the morning, I'm getting to his room. I'm telling him what is the day today and what is the date today. I'm telling him to be strong and with a lot of faith. I'm praying in his room and I'm going to my, 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 my mission, my, uh, the mission of our, my life now, uh, to bring Omer back home. And uh, I must say that no, no mother or father needs to feel like we feel. And uh, Omer and uh, all the hostages are citizen where my, my son was in a party. There were people who were in the safe place their houses. Try to imagine that you are in your house, your children is in the bed, and terrorist is coming into your house, kill, murdering, taking people to hostage. Where in, in, in the world this situation is, is okay? And uh, I hope that uh, you will tell your community our story. And thank you for having me here and, uh, and letting me tell my story and other stories, people. And uh, I hope this nightmare will end soon and we I will see I will hug my sunshine thank you yes that was uh, Shelly Shem Tov whose son uh, Omar 21 years old uh, he's been uh, held in Gaza for 125 days now uh, again, he has asthma, uh, and there's no medication. There's no proof of the medicines that were taken uh, bought by France and brought through Qatar down to Sinai and sent into Gaza. No proof that they've ever reached him. He needs his breather. He also has celiac, which sensitive to gluten, other things with his stomach to breads, and uh, all uh, they basically have been feeding them is a piece of pita bread uh, or half a piece every day. And uh, so you really have to feel for this young man. And uh, we prayed uh, for Shelly uh, and uh, her sister-in-law who came that evening to talk to us. And uh, then we uh, asked uh, the two of them, plus another gentleman who's like a foster father, to another hostage named Daniel, who uh, is a lone soldier, and this this is uh, 
an Israeli uh, man in his family who sort of adopted him. He comes by on weekends, and we ask them to hand to all our delegates, everyone on our study mission, um, the um, uh, little tags, ID tags. Uh, we had some bracelets, and we uh, also had these yellow pins to remember the hostages that they handed out to our people, point of contact, so everyone would remember to pray for them. We ask you as well to pray for them. The, there, is, uh, there are these negotiations, very intense, going on to try and free these remaining 136 hostages, uh, either alive or, or the bodies of those uh, who uh, have already died. And um, the uh, U.S., Egypt, Qatar, some of the mediating countries met in Paris uh, uh, last week, week before, and started putting together some sort of hostage deal. Uh, the way it was presented, it got all sorts of things got attached to it. It's not only a ceasefire and aid has to come in and for Israel to get back uh, each hostage, they have to release so many Palestinian uh, prisoners, many of them uh, engaged in terror activities. Uh, they have to release them, a, a swath of, of these prisoners, terrorist prisoners, for these innocent uh, civilians, like happened in December. But uh, what they started talking about in Paris is, is you know, trying to, uh, if they get a ceasefire to start this exchange, to start adding on things to make it hard for ever, Israel to ever resume the war, which is what Hamas uh, wants. And so they started tacking on to it, even, even Israeli uh, an Israeli commitment to recognize a Palestinian state or pursue, a, you know, set a, a, a definite time for a two-state solution or whatever, and all sorts of other uh, requirements. Um, since then, Israel said, look, we're willing to keep negotiating over this. Hamas said, yes, we are too. But Hamas came back with a counter-proposal that uh, they not only wanted the aid and, and a ceasefire, a permanent ceasefire, um, but they wanted the IDF to, to completely withdraw from Gaza before they'd hand over hostages. That's a non-starter. They uh, want to be able to select the Palestinian prisoners that get released, including Marwan Barghouti, even though he's not uh, Hamas, he's a Fatah militia leader who's serving five life sentences and some extra time for the his role in, as a militia leader where his guys, he oversaw the killing of five Israelis. And Hamas, uh, without uh, saying it, they're basically, they want to stay in power in Gaza. And all of these conditions, um, Prime Minister Netanyahu has said they're delusional. To, to come back with a um, counter-proposal like that. It's delusional, but there's a lot of pressure from the U.S., uh, from uh, Europe, from the Arab countries. Israel wants normalization with the Saudis, uh, but, uh, you know, it's all getting attached with, you know, that Israel has to commit to recognize a, Palestine, a future Palestinian state, and that is very, very hard to do when it feels like it's a reward, the, the state is a reward for uh, Hamas terrorism and the massacre they committed on October 7th. So it's very hard, not only for Israeli leaders, but for the whole 
uh, um, gamut of the Israeli people to accept uh, such unpalatable uh, terms. And so they're going to keep fighting. Uh, Israeli war cabinet and the military leadership said the best way to get our hostages back is to continue applying military pressure, advancing in Gaza. Um, unfortunately, they just haven't been able to to rescue any more hostages. There are, there are indications that they've gotten close several times and they found dead bodies that some of them may are, are probably being executed by Hamas when the IDF gets too close or else they whisk them away in the tunnels or other means to to other areas. It would be wonderful to have more rescues. We need to be praying for that, but uh, also praying for the talks over the hostage releases. Israel did get 105 terrorists back. I think the latest is that, that there is an effort to convince Hamas, and the pressure needs to go on Qatar, who is their main sponsor, gives Hamas senior leaders sanctuary in Doha, funds Hamas and all the, the Hamas is the one that's trying to keep uh, uh, Qatar is the country that's trying to keep Hamas in power in Gaza, and uh, but there's talk that uh, as part of this hostage deal, that this uh, Hamas leaders in Gaza, uh, Senyar and uh, Mohammed Daif, uh, Israel has a list I think of six senior Hamas military commanders in Gaza that would have to go into exile as part of this hostage deal. Uh, one of the countries that's being named as a possible place of their exile is Algeria, which is very pro-Palestinian, pro-Hamas. Uh, their parliament already voted to give their government power to join the war against Israel and to support Hamas. Uh, crazy stuff. But, you know, the same thing happened to Yasser Arafat and the PLO when Israel had to go into Lebanon back in 1982 and all the way to Beirut. And there's these famous images and footage of Yasser Arafat getting on a boat and being taken away into exile uh, to uh, Tunis and Algeria, I mean, in, in Tunisia. And uh, so, you know, Israel is probably the Israeli leaders uh, to get these hostages back. They'd be willing to let these Hamas leaders uh, leave Gaza uh, and with the understanding they, they can always target them later. What Hamas did on October 7th is a war crime and, uh, and uh, crimes against humanity. And uh, the way those are handled in the wake of the Holocaust just as there were Nazi hunters uh, who hunted the Nazis down until they died. There's no statute of limitations, and you can keep pursuing them until the day they die. I think that's uh, probably, it could very well be that um, Hamas leaders wind up as fugitives in that sense with countries willing to harbor them. Can you imagine uh, countries willing to openly harbor Nazi war criminals? Well, this is what Algeria and, and their talk is, that they're willing to do that. We'll see what happens um, with that. But another thing that we can do, we can be praying, we can be spreading the word, share this video with uh, other friends and family so that you can hear these stories firsthand from these people, these dear mothers 
but uh, there is a, a petition drive that's been launched, a campaign in uh, recent days to try and persuade a certain lady in Qatar. Qatar, again, is one of the main sponsors of Hamas. They give them $350 million or so dollars per year. They harbor, they give sanctuary to senior Hamas leaders, uh, Ismail Haniyeh and others in Doha, in their capital. But the mother of the emir, the ruler of Qatar, Amir Al-Thani, his mother is named Sheikha Moza bint Nasser, Sheikha Moza. Here's a photo of her. And uh, uh, she still wields a lot of influence in Qatar. Her husband was the ruler, the emir of Qatar. And there's even some indication that she worked out as her husband got older that their son would already take over and that she put him in power. She has great influence over her son. She also uses a lot of the Qatari wealth um, even for charitable purposes. She gives a lot of money for philanthropic uh, purposes ar around the world, good humanitarian causes. Uh, she is respected by a lot of world leaders and a, by a lot of Western elite. She runs in those circles and, uh, you know, has respect among, and she cares about her image in the eyes of the Western elite society, the rich and famous, and uh, that uh, it's she's sort of been identified as someone that could really play a critical and important, pivotal role in the freeing of these hostages. You've probably already seen, some of you may have seen a video that Kathleen Gifford, um, you know, a famous uh, American TV personality that uh, she did addressing uh, Sheikha Moza, uh, asking that she do use her influence and, and, you know, have a heart for these Israeli hostages and tell her son to help set them free. And uh, I think there's a real consensus among Israeli leaders that Qatar is the key. They can actually tell Hamas, let them go. And uh, there's also a petition drive that we'll tell you about right after we watch this video. A little video gives you a little background on Sheikha Moza and how she's a key person, a key figure in freeing the hostages. Who is Sheikha Moza? Sheikha Moza is the wife of the former emir of the state of Qatar and mother of the current emir Tamim bin Hamad Al Thani. She is the co-founder and chair of the Qatar Foundation the largest state-owned NPO in the country. In addition to being highly educated, Sheikha Moza is extremely powerful and influential. She is considered by many to be the actual leader of Qatar. Qatar has been duplicitous in gaining favor and investing in the Western civilized world, while simultaneously supporting terrorist organizations like Hamas with billions of dollars. Qatar and Sheikha Moza are now under the spotlight on the world stage. They are at a crossroads. The atrocities of October 7 have made it impossible to be neutral any longer. The entire world is watching. Sheikha Moza, we know you're strong. We know you're educated. We know you're powerful. We also know that you are a mother who loves her children. We know that you have the power and influence to see the Israeli hostages return to their families. We know that this is the first step in ending the war in Gaza and seeing peace restored to the Palestinian people. Sheikha Moza, 
Will you take this first step on behalf of humanity? Yeah, there's been a debate uh, in Israel how much pressure to put on Qatar itself. Do you openly sort of shame them or, or do you work quietly behind the scenes? Uh, there's been too many indications so far that Qatar is, is totally protecting and shielding Hamas from any consequences. They're not really a neutral mediator in these hostage talks. And, and they really are the key to uh, forcing Hamas to uh, free these hostages. So this campaign uh, directed against uh, Sheikh Moza is, is uh, growing. And uh, if you want to sign an online petition, I did it myself. Uh, it's at change.org. The title of the campaign is It's In Your Hands. It's In Your Hands. Uh, referring to Sheikha Moses, she has the ability to make a real difference. It's in your hands. Bring them home. Uh, we're going to put the information to uh, um, find that petition and sign it. We'll put it in the, uh, in the description below. You'll see a, a link there and a little more background on her. And we thank you for watching today's show on setting the Israeli hostages free. We ask you to keep talking about this to all your friends and neighbors, to your church, to your community, to your leaders, that uh, it's time for them to come home. It's been enough time. I, there, there's, uh, there, uh, I think, still several, uh, there's more than a dozen of these people that are American citizens. The, I think uh, the president of Argentina is now visiting I think there are around a dozen Argentinians, dual Israel-Argentinian civilians who were taken hostage. It's, uh, I think there were around 40 countries represented in, in the hostages that Hamas took. So again, it's not just an Israeli problem. It's the whole world that seemingly was, the Hamas just took everyone. And uh, they need to be freed. It's time. We thank you. We, uh, we ask for your prayers as well and do something. Go sign the petition, uh, share the videos with, with uh, others, and God bless you from Jerusalem. At the top of the hour, you'll be able to join our daily global prayer gathering, 4 p.m. Israel time. We'll see you next week with another edition of the ICJ webinar series. God bless you.